today. So take your Bible. Some has already asked me this morning, what's the deal with the rock? And if you weren't here last week, it's not the rock like the actor, the rock. It's a much more important rock. Um, this is to remind us of what the Lord has done. Ebenezer is what we talked about last week. It's to remind us of what God still does. And it's to remind us of what faith can accomplish. And so what I, I want to encourage you with this morning is, why does God want us to remember Ebenezer? It's so that faith, Ebenezer, is, is, means the Lord has helped us. Have you ever needed help in your life? Anybody? A few of you? I know I need help all the time, every day. Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. And this morning, uh, the Lord gave a word to someone and, they, and he wrote it down for me and I want to share it with you because I, I believe it, it goes right along with this. This is, God wants you to remember Ebenezer because that's, so faith will fill your hearts and will believe then. And we talked about Samuel last week and uh, if you didn't see those, or some of you need to respond and return to the altar. He's got a plan. He's working on that to steal, kill, and to destroy you. But the ark represented the presence of God. And there was a call last week to put away everything that would hinder our progress. And so this is what Ebenezer, and some of you have, have lots of mountains in your life that need to be moved. The Bible, the psalmist says that hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. We need the presence of God in our life. And we talked about the ark representing the presence chamber of God. So what mountains do you need moved in your life? This is what um, was shared this morning with me. When you want understanding, you go to the library. When you want to trust, you come here to worship. When you want a change of appearance, you go and buy new clothes at the mall or shopping center. When you want transformation... When you want change, you come to the Lord, right? Listen, don't come to the church if you want to be changed. It's just that we look at the church as a building, right? When you want to be changed, you come to the Lord. Well, the altar is a place of transformation and change, absolutely. But truly, when you come to church, it's not to, to, to feel good and to like the worship and to, and to hear a nice encouraging word. It's because you recognize you need to be changed, Right? Don't go to your spouse. Don't go to yourself. Don't go to the latest, greatest self-help book because that's, that's limited. Go to the Lord if you truly want to be changed. And so I hope you're here today because you want to be changed. Anybody? Any takers? Anybody out there? All right. Well, take your Bibles. We're going to uh, wrap up and conclude this series that we've been in for 40 days. Um, and this is the last week of the 40 days of transformation. And uh, I know that some of you have not really been super engaged in um, this process of transformation. You can also go to our website. Um, there's a lot, uh, you know, in church on Sunday, we kind of celebrate what God's doing. We come together, we encourage the fellowship is important and it's it's really it's crucial to our spiritual growth and, and, and formation, spiritual formation. But truly, uh, if you want change, you need to be coming to the Lord regular, regularly, right? 
And uh, so that's, that resource is on our, our website. You can go to Centerpoint, go right to the resources page, and there's a whole weekly studies that you can read. Uh, they're very brief. They're, they're short. But there's a challenge. And some of you over the last 40 days haven't really engaged so much in this challenge. And, and that's all right, because we had a lot going on when we started, and we knew that. But I'm going to encourage some of you uh, to consider starting that maybe today. Maybe you didn't start 40 days ago. Uh, you can go to the information desk. I think we have the whole packet printed there. Um, I believe, again, Natasha had get that stuff set up, and then she was sick today, so I'm not sure if it's out there. It's all on the website, though. You can get it right there. And I really want to challenge you. Um, and the reason being is I continue to hear testimonies. We were ta- we've been talking about fasting, not eating, giving up food. Uh, Contrary to the word fast, there's nothing fast about not eating. It's, it's long and burdensome and arduous. But this particular individual said, you know, Pastor, my, my wife and I decided to um, fast alcohol and tithe alcohol. We, we're not alcoholics. We don't drink to indulgence, but we, ha- we enjoy a drink in the evening to help unwind and help to relax. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm not sure where this is going. Um, but the way the testimony went is uh, after giving up alcohol for a time and, and beginning to tie that income and say, hey, we spend a significant amount of money on alcohol, let's, let's give that up. Let's not drink alcohol and let's not do that and let's just go to bed without it at night. And, and surprisingly, as they begin to talk to each other, I said, you know, um, how do you feel about this whole not, not doing the alcohol thing? And the, the wife said, I feel pretty good. Actually, uh, we seem to be getting along better. I wake up in the morning feeling better, and uh, so maybe this is something that could continue, and we could continue to draw closer to God, and hence draw closer to each other, because whether you realize this or not, as if you're married, when Christ is the center of your relationship and you're drawing closer to Him, you're also drawing closer to each other. And, and so it's just amazing to me to see how God speaks to each individual in an individual way. All of us are on a, on a hopefully a growth track and a, and a, a pursuit of, um, as I said, transformation or change or spiritual formation, but we all grow in different ways. Some of you may say, oh, that's silly, you know, the whole alcohol thing, I can't believe, you know, whatever you think is, you, you're on your journey and everybody grows differently in their spiritual journey. Are you following me? And the way God works in you may be different than the way he works in me. And we can't judge each other for, well, that's silly or that doesn't work for me. You've got to find what works for you and pursue God. And that's what this 40 days is really all about. It's about a focus. And so I'm going to speak one more time today in conclusion and wrap up this series on, on what I've titled the most important reason to fast. Because... Maybe you're done with you know, the 40 days. You say, oh, this is the last week and I've given up. I did maybe the Daniel fast and, and now I'm, I'm still giving something else up for 40 days. Or maybe you haven't done any fasting whatsoever at all during the last 40 days. And this is not judgment, guilt, condemnation, anything like that. But, but maybe today you'll be inspired and quickened and challenged to give this a try in your life. And there's a reason why I believe every single person should make this discipline a part of your forever life. Not that you have to stay on a constant, a full fast for the rest of your life, but begin to implement this 
discipline throughout your life for the purpose of spiritual growth. You eat food like I do every day, right? To stay healthy. But many of us don't give the needed time and intentional effort and energy for spiritual growth. We just don't do it. We come to church once a week. We read our nice little devotional. We go through that. That's great. But we very rarely set aside intentional, purposeful seasons for the purpose of a spiritual formation. And sometimes we need a little bit of a, of a boost. Right? You guys are awful quiet today. Are you with me? So again, this is challenging stuff, and, I, and I, I've said that from the beginning. Um, these are not easy principles that we've been talking about because they will really uh, challenge you to live a life of self-sacrifice, to sacrifice the flesh to feed the spirit. And when you feed the spirit, man, it affects every area of your life. And we were talking, I was talking to Laura this week actually about different parts of our lives. We've got spirit, we've got body, we've got soul. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Actually, fasting helps you to become a more physically healthy person if you can integrate that into uh, portions, again, of your daily living. Not that you have to always fast food, or, but there are things that you can do to become more healthy physically. Well, God wants your body to be physically well because he doesn't just care about your spirit. He made you spirit, body, and soul. And so we want to do some health and wellness uh, classes here at Center Point as well, teaching people how to, how to live better, live healthier, exercise, diet, eat right. Be a healthy person. Do you think that's a good idea? And it's not just in the self-help books by the greatest gurus out there. There's things in the Word of God that can help you be a healthy, well-rounded, and balanced person. So let's look at Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. Uh, it says in the NLT, passion for your house burns within me, so those who insult you are also insulting me. When I weep and fast before the Lord, they scoff at me. The Amplified Version reads, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the mocking or the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled myself, humbled myself, we talked about that last week, with fasting, it became my reproach. So this morning, I want to propose to you that the absolute most important reason to fast is for the purpose to aid you in personal holiness. It's not so you can lose weight. It's not so you can check off the box and say, I did it. It's to help you in your pursuit of being more like him. Amen? Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few minutes you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our minds up to receive from you. And Lord, once again, we, we come to you recognizing you are the one that has the power and the ability to bring change, true, deep, genuine transformation in our lives. And so today, Lord, once again, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the last few passages, or the last few messages that we've, we've talked about, um, you know, we really, we, we, we really believe and our goal is to see lives transformed. And this was really about a focus for 40 days. And I, I, my prayer is that you'll continue to implement some of the things that hopefully you've learned as a part of your regular lifestyle. Um, fasting is a biblical practice 
that is very relevant for today. There are three types of fasts that have been very effective and they've been used by godly men throughout history. There is the uh, normal fast, the absolute fast, and the partial fast. We've emphasized, this is just a little bit of a summary, we've emphasized that for any fast to be valid, it must be instigated by God and then carried out by His people with the right motives, the right heart. The attitude of your heart is critical. Well, pastor said I'm supposed to give this up. And I don't want to give that up. But, but don't go on. I'm going to do it. And I want to check off that box and say, oh, I did it. And things didn't change. So I'm going back to my normal way of living. So that is probably not the best attitude in which you are going to receive transformation. Right? Uh, comical, but think about it there. We, we, we probably all catch ourselves doing that. So we discovered in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, that the cure of unbelief is praying with fasting. Was the, I think one of the first messages we, we did. We've concluded that fasting is for now. It's not just for back in Jesus' time. We should prepare our hearts and experience the joy of drawing closer to God. There's joy in drawing closer to God. There's fulfillment in growing in your relationship with God. And I'm, I'm so excited and encouraged to hear the little testimonies and the stories of people who are like, man, I, I just tweaked this a little bit and I tweaked that and I gave a greater focus to this in my life and I'm growing closer to Jesus and I'm seeing Him actually bring change in my life. Things that I haven't been able to change on my own. Right? I mean, neat stuff. There's greater force in your praying greater sensitivity when you're practicing these principles to God's presence in your life. There's a greater sensitivity to that, to God's spirit. There's a greater increase of faith in God's ability as you begin to implement these things. And by the way, we're going to leave this here for a while so that you can remember, so that your faith can grow. Ebenezer, this is where God meets me. God changes you. And like that word that we got this morning from our brother that shared that, when we want change, come to God. Come to God. There's greater control as we're fasting over the physical man and victory over the lust for food and uncontrolled appetite. I can tell you even in my own personal life, um, because this was the, uh, for me, it was the longest time in my life, that I gave up something that I really love, and that's carbs. I love bread, starch. I'm, an, I'm a guinea. I'm an Italian. I have to have bread, you know, four meals a day. And, and I could honestly eat pizza five days a week and be happy with that. Uh, and it's probably the worst thing you can eat, right? But I can tell you, in giving some of these things up in my life, the, the, the cravings for that have diminished significantly, Pretty cool, right? I feel better. I feel healthy. I don't feel as bloated and lethargic. And I mean, there are things that really, there's and a greater consecration to the will of God, a greater result seating for lost people. There's a greater awareness of God's guidance, his direction, his presence, and his sanctifying power in your life as we begin to implement. We've learned through Jehoshaphat. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. That prayer and fasting overcomes the enemy's plans. Do you know that God's got a plan for you? And that you, do you know also that the enemy has a plan? To destroy God's plan, right? There are spiritual weapons that work for today like those that work for Jehoshaphat. I'm going to read those. 
corporate prayer. I don't think I have those up there, but they are corporate prayer, basically, or corporate fasting, I'm sorry. Uh, And that's why we called the church this, leads to self-denial. United prayer, as we gather together in agreement through united prayer. Wholehearted praise, believing God for intervention. As we opened the service today, I said, I tried to challenge and encourage you. Come expecting. You know, every week when you come together with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, there should be this anticipation of, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our service today. Right? I can't wait to see how he's going to move at these altars. I mean, people who, who are responding, and, and the testimonies I'm hearing, people say, man, I just felt the Lord calling me, and I responded to the altar during worship, and man, God's just doing some amazing things in my life. That's how God works. As we do things corporately, there's power in the unification of the body. Amen? Amen. It's important that you recognize that. There's a genuine unselfishness. We put aside our personal agendas. And their spiritual gifts. We talked about that in, in our class today. The anointing of God comes into the congregation and God's presence. God's presence is what makes the difference. Listen, we can come and do church and leave every week, week after week after week. And you know, if God's presence is not moving, you might as well just be playing bingo. Right? But God's Holy Spirit is here. He's alive. We help to set that, that atmosphere and that tenor by us corporately and collectively being on a journey together and that's why i've really challenged the church to jump on board this this challenge together of the 40 days and again maybe you're here today and say well i didn't really do that pastor because that's really for the super committed people and i'm not really one of those and and here's my my question to you do you want to grow do you want to grow are you sick of being where you're at and look at the stories well then pick up your mat do you want to get well Great, pick up your mat and, and walk. And Jesus said that, the pool of Bethesda. So, <clears throat> excuse me, another whole sermon, we won't get in that. So the question today is, what good is it, what good is it, and why bother? <clears throat> excuse me, why bother fasting? Well, the purpose of fasting is that it's a valuable aid to personal holiness. Not to you just going to church more, feeling better. Humility. Uh, is the basic ingredients for holiness. And I'm going to talk about humility and pride a bit today because I really think that pride gets so in the way. The, the pride of the heart. And listen, please don't sit here, oh, that's not me, I'm not a proud person. Yeah, well, if you're saying that, then chances are. Humility is the basic ingredients of true Holiness. A broken and a contrite spirit, he will not despise. Talk about Saul and David. It's the soil through which the fruits of the spirit begin to flow. When you are a humble and a broken, a contrite spirit, acknowledging, God, I can't do this. I'm broken before you. I lay myself down before you. So like David in the Psalms, we've got to humble ourselves, humble our souls through prayer and through fasting. We must understand that behind habitual sin and personal failures is the pride in our hearts. And there's so many people that live there, just this cycle of habitual patterns and sins in their life they go back to over and over and over again. And, and we've got to be humble enough to acknowledge and recognize that this is pride, habitual sin, 
personal failures over and living in that, that rat race of just continuing to go back there. And this is not for the, the world, okay? I'm talking about for people in the church. People who claim to be and who say they are, and I believe they are believers. They believe, right? But there's a, there's a line that we've got to cross over from believing to truly following. And a disciple is one who follows the commandments of the Lord who adheres to the principles of the Word of God that are being taught, and who embraces those principles. And again, I believe that fasting is a huge one. Underneath the surface, behind the problems that infect church fellowship and interpersonal relationships is the sin of pride. We've seen it in our church. seen it in many churches. I was talking in our partner's class this morning about Articles that I read last night about major, major church leaders, mega churches falling, men that I've looked up to as mentors and spiritual leaders like Bill Hybels and James McDonald and you name it, mega, mega churches with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and pride gets its ugly head in there and begins to wreak havoc and destroy people, churches, lives, pastors, anybody. Nobody's immune from this. And this is where I have to learn to live humble. I always kind of say, you know, the, the, lower, you, the lower you go, the more humble you are, the, the less way to fall, right? So stay like... <laughs> right? Like, stay hum God, humble me. But keep a, keep a humble spirit. A broken spirit. And, and as you acknowledge, God, I can't, but I know you can. I need your help. I need your help, Lord. You've got dirt on me there. When you unmask the, the personality clashes and the, and the various temperaments, the root cause of strife and division in the body of Christ is the insidious sin of the pride of the human heart. And I'll just be honest with you, I've, I've seen, you've seen, we've seen stuff go on in our church over the last year or so, and, and I look back and say, God, what's going on? Where, what's, where? And, and I, I see a lot of stuff going on a lot, and again, I'm not heaping condemnation or judgment on anybody, but I'm saying any single one of us, but by the power of God, there go I. Humble your heart. Stay low to the Lord. Acknowledge God, I can't, but you can. And I'm nothing great and special, but Lord, I need your help in my life to deal with habitual sin, to deal with personal failures, to deal with this cyclical uh, root that I've been in, this rut that I've been in, and that I can't really grow and make progress with you. Listen, church, we're not here to grow a church. We're here to grow people. We're here to help you to grow as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And if you'll understand and embrace these principles of God's word, not a guy's teaching, but God's word, I truly believe you'll grow spiritually. I'm sick of seeing people come in and go out the back door, come in the front door, go out the back door. They haven't connected well. They're not growing spiritually and they're running off to the latest, greatest, feel good this, feel good that. Listen, grow. And it's mine. You own that. The question we need to ask that's so relevant for our church is how can 
having a corporate church fast help us? And that's really, you know, you say, well, why didn't we talk about this at the very beginning? Well, um, probably maybe it would have been a good idea, but I, this is the end of the, the series. Like I said, many of you didn't. We had so much going on when we first launched this. Many of you didn't engage in that. But I want you to know that um, this, needs to be a, this needs to be a part of who we are as a body at Centerpoint Community Church. Pursuing personal holiness, spiritual growth. I want to look at the, the negative side first. Pride and too full of a stomach according to scripture, often go hand in hand. Did you know that? Pride and too full of a stomach. Note what Ezekiel says in, 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 to Sodom, or says of Sodom. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the sin of your sister Sodom, and she and her daughters, the outlying cities, had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. This lethargic, apathetic attitude, but she did not help the poor and the needy. God knew before Israel entered the promised land that pride and overeating would be one of their causes of the downfall after they entered the land. Remember the land flowing with what? Milk and honey. That's the land of abundance. That's the land of plenty. Guess where you live? Right? This is the problem with the American church. It's because all the way back to how we started. We have so much abundance. We have so much plenty. And I don't think there's a person here in this place today that can't go and, and, and pretty much have a nice meal today at some point. A good meal. We live in a land of abundance and plenty and flowing with milk and honey. And I believe we're seeing America kind of, you know, Depending on what your thoughts or beliefs are, there's, there's still a lot of hardship going on in our country, but this is a very blessed and a very prosperous nation. See, God knew before Israel entered that promised land. Look at, look at what Moses said down in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He reminded the Israelites before they entered their inheritance. He said, God, uh, God had, this is what Moses said to them, God has blessed you these 40 years in the wilderness and he humbled you and let you hunger. Then Moses warned Israel when they entered the promised land that they would face this, a, a new set of temptations. I'm kind of summarizing a lot here for you today, but try to stay with me. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. See, the, the wilderness years, the wilderness years had been ordained by God to prepare them to handle these new temptations. That's, that's why the 40 years of wandering. He was preparing them. Look at what it says, though, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Take heed, lest when you have eaten and are full, your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. And this is, again, where I, I think the church has been for far too long. We've been so complacent. Our hunger for God and the things of God, our pursuit of holiness has really diminished. Not to, not to say that we don't like to crank up the worship music and feel good in our car going down the road and all praise God. But, you know, holiness is a life of humility and sacrifice. And pursuing holiness is not a real popular thing today because it means sacrifice. It doesn't mean that God won't bless you because He will bless you. But you've got to acknowledge putting Him first. You've got to, you've got to practice putting Him first, not just talk about it. Take heed, 
And tragically, Hosea chapter 13, verse 6, tells us that Israel didn't heed Moses' warning. And that's exactly what happened. Right? The story. Fasting. Fasting, then, is God's way to correct the issue of pride in our human heart. And we all have it. And we all like to eat, don't we? It's a discipline of the body, and it has this ability to humble the soul. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, even also in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, it says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we may humble ourselves before God. So to Israel, fasting not only meant to humble oneself, it also meant to take an attitude of mourning. And I want to just kind of help you understand that, that attitude there. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, the Lord uses those terms fasting and mourning interchangeably. Fasting and mourning. How many of you, when you're hungry, you're miserable? <laughs> you're mourning. What, what, what does that have to do? When, when someone genuinely humbles themselves before God, there's a natural sequence as you, you move from humbling yourself to this mourning of this repentance and this contrition and this brokenness before God. It brings a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Again, I know, please hear my heart. I know that these are not popular things to hear about and to learn about. But if you're not taught these things, if we're not taught these things and we don't know to practice them, then a lot of it is just uh, for, lack, for lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, my people perish, the Bible says. Right? So I'm going to teach you the word. We're, we're getting ready to go in a series after, after this, starting in March, on the blessed life. I want to be blessed. How about you? Yeah. Right. Well, it takes your cooperation with God. And you're going to learn some really great principles. But it's one thing to be a hearer. It's another thing to be a doer. So, this, again, humbling yourself meant to take an attitude of mourning and brokenness. And I'm talking about genuine repentance. Right? True godly sorrow for the sin in your life. Not like, oh, well, yeah, I got my hand caught in the cookie jar and I'm busted, so I got caught. No, no, a brokenness for the sin in your life. A brokenness for the pride. A humility, a contrition, a broken spirit that says, God, forgive me, that's truly poured out before the Lord. Well, I don't have any real bad sins in my life, Pastor. Well, you know what? The greatest thing that we have sinned, I call it the sin of omission, that we have we religious Christian people who are believers have omitted truly having Christ in the very, very center of our focus and our passion. Not worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. And I don't have time to get into a deeper, that's another message, but there's a difference. There's a, there's a true difference. And if you don't know what that is, then you probably haven't been truly broken before the Lord yet. When... We know when Israel fasted in repentance in Samuel, as did the exiles who, who returned under Nehemiah. Look at 1 Samuel 7, 6 and Nehemiah 9, 12. In the process of sanctification, we've omitted the need for genuine mourning over personal sin and failure. In the process of going through the motions, 
And we do this really good as in churches in America today. In our church, we've done it really good. We, oh, you know, I've, I have sinned and I, and I confess that or I repent and I prayed. But I go back to my sin. The proverb says, like a dog who returns to his own vomit is a fool who returns to his own sin. But we keep going back to these cycles and these patterns. And this is where I'm bringing us to today a, a true spirit of brokenness and humility is, has a lot to do with this whole fasting concept in your life. God, I'm truly broken over my sin and I'm mourning over my personal failure, the condition of my heart. I can put on the outward shell, everything looks okay. And we come to church and we do that all the time, don't we? But deep down inside, there's some things that are not right. Please understand my heart here. It's not, I'm not meaning, and I hope you don't feel I'm coming across as judgmental. But we need to hear this challenge to truly pour out our hearts before the Lord. In this process of sanctification, we've omitted the need for genuine mourning. God, I'm broken because of the condition of my heart. We need to understand that genuine repentance is often aided by the act of fasting. There's a sensitivity that comes to our, our spirits when our, when our stomachs might seem hollow and empty, our hearts are more tender and soft and attentive to the Holy Spirit. If you've ever fasted, you know that. A very real other challenge is is to go beyond fasting and mourning for our personal sin to where we fast and mourn for the sins of the church, sins of the community, the sins of the state, the sins of the nation, even the world. See, fasting enhances our ability to sense the heart of God. And as we're going into an election year and we're supposed to pray for our elected officials, we're supposed to be praying for the sins of our world, of our country, of our leaders. Dear Lord, look at, look at what's going on, right? The division in our country. We should, as we're fasting and praying for personal holiness and, and sanctity and a contrite heart, it draws us to, to mourn and cry and weep for the sins of our world, the sins of our nation. That we would begin to genuinely share the sorrow for the spiritual condition of the world around us on every side. If we look in the book of Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4, God gave him a vision of the impending judgment that was going to be coming to the city of Jerusalem. And in his vision, Ezekiel saw God sending one who was to put a mark on the foreheads of the men who would sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. So apparently, even, even at this time for, for Ezekiel, despite the the horrendous idolatry that was going on and all the sin of that world, there were those in the city that still feared God. Right? And we believe that there are those in the church, there are those of you here today that still fear God. What does that mean? It means you have an attitude and a mindset that takes God extremely serious in every area of your life. You live with this attitude and this mindset of, uh, not, oh, I'm frightened of God, is going to strike down 50,000 plus people and they open, opened the presence of the ark last week and they weren't ready. Uh, but there is a, a fear, an attitude, a mindset that says, God, I, I take serious 
the sin of my life, the pride in my heart, the condition of my heart. And, and we see the same thing then. So that's why that mark was put on, on their heads. And perhaps the same is, is true today. We live in a very self-serving, a very wicked world. And God takes note of those who fast and mourn and whose hearts are broken and repentant for the sin in their own life and who are broken and repentant for the sin in our communities and the sin in our schools and the sin in our world who are broken over that and God sees that. He hears those prayers and he knows your heart and God responds to the faith-believing prayers of his people. When we're fasting and we're broken we're, we're more focused and tender to the things of God. When Ezekiel, while Ezekiel's, this particular case here, the nation and the city had already reached a point of no return. But that may not yet be the case with us today. I pray it's not. I pray for our community that it's not. But our community needs, and we have some wonderful churches in our community. We're very blessed in the greater Waterfield area to have some wonderful churches that are preaching the truth, that are seeing a move of God, that's stirring God's people. And it's not just a, it's not just a so we can feel good type of move, right? It's a, a deepened hunger and desire in our hearts. I believe the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro for individuals and churches who will fast and weep and cry out before the Lord for the sins of our community and our land. And even, even today, I think we need some modern-day Ezra's and Nehemiah's who, who really are truly seeking that the spiritual walls of our community and nation be broken down. And church, that happens as we humble ourselves, as we pray, and as we seek His face. And communities that have been destroyed, churches that have been ravaged by, you know, uncontrollable passions, by pride, by self-indulgence. So as we... Uh, are a church that will fast and pray, I believe that God could turn the tide and, and send another great awakening. And I believe he wants to send it in our community. I believe that. I'm praying for that. An awakening to the church and revival to this land. We need it. We absolutely desperately need it. And listen, you drive through our community, we see the brokenness. Church, we are never going to be equipped, capable, and or ready to meet all the needs that are represented in our community until we are endued with power from on high, filled with the Holy Spirit, to be changed ourselves and to bring that change, that Holy Spirit changing grace to the world that so desperately needs it. God's raising us up. He's raising you up. A remnant of you that'll say, I'm hungry, Pastor. Yeah, I, I want God. Let's jump on board and let's move towards that. The idea of, of fasting and personal sanctity must also include the, the positive aspect of consecration to the Lord. What does that mean? It means just a, a dedication, a blessing. The best example of this, I think, is Jesus' 40 days of fast just prior to his public ministry. You remember that he was 40 days. His baptism in the Jordan River was a dedication unto his death, anticipating the cross that was to come. And his time was only three years of ministry. And although the scripture records that he received the spirit without measure, it was not operative until after his wilderness testing. So keep in mind here, when Jesus accepted the Holy Spirit's um, initiative of six weeks of fasting, he reaffirmed his determination to be submitted 
absolutely surrendered in obedience to the will of his father. Even to the very end. Jesus was fasting and he was tempted. Remember that? Christ's fasting was his final preparation and consecration for his ministry here on earth. It's the last thing he did to prepare. Acts chapter 13. See, the same type of thing is seen in setting Paul and Barnabas apart. They were set apart. Acts chapter 13 verse 3 says, Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And in closing, I, I want you to notice that in both cases involved fasting. In both situations, mighty acts of God were accomplished. See, I think there's a lot of people that want to take the world for Jesus. They want to make a difference in the world for Jesus. But they don't want to take care of things in their own personal life, like marital strife, like personal failures, like personal sin, because nobody knows about that. But man, I want to be used by God. I want to bring Jesus to the, to the world. Well, what about taking care of your own temple first? Right? God's calling us. I didn't prepare for this, but Sean, would you be able to come and let's just close and would you bow your heads? We're going to close in, in a worship song, I think, here in a moment. And I love people that are flexible like Gumby. <laughs> he who is flexible shall not break. Thank you, Sean. We're just going to close the service in a moment, but as you bow your head and close your eyes, let me just ask you, and I know that this has maybe been more of a somber type of message this morning. Whoever else can come on the worship team that is free and available. Is God directing us to be set apart in fasting and prayer? To bring a deeper purifying of our souls to Him? I believe that He can accomplish the move of His Holy Spirit like He did through... Christ and Paul and Barnabas. But we need to allow him to bring that depth of sanctification, holiness, as we truly seek his face. And not just, not just through 40 days, but making us a lifestyle. And I pray that you will make your pursuit of God a lifestyle, not just a Oh, the church is doing a thing here and we're let's focus on this for a series. But can you say, God, I, I'm humble. I'm broken before you. I need you. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Kind of going to close like we did last week. And I, I believe the Lord was moving mightily at these altars. And years of counseling and therapy and all that wonderful stuff you can do and Years of going to church isn't what will change you. You come to the Lord and He will bring change to you. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity again today. And wasn't sure how I was going to close out today's message. But I know some need to go and you're free to go in a moment. But some of you need to repent of your sin. And not just confess it, but repent of it. Does that mean be broken for the sin in our life? habitual patterns that continue that you've tried to change on your own that you can't but God's knocking on your heart's door today to say hey come to me just the way you are right where you're at 
no judgment, no condemnation. In fact, no manipulation or anything like that. This is just, hear the, the tugging of the Holy Spirit drawing you to say, I love you. And that's why there's conviction, because He loves you. And He doesn't want you to stay where you're at, broken, half empty, because there's still mess in your house that needs to be cleared out. I don't know how to clear it out, Pastor. Good, join me, because I don't either. I don't know either. But I know as I come to Him and I lay it down to Him, I say, God, I can't, but I know you can. He has a way of removing the mess. Well, I've done that before, Pastor, and I end up right back here again. We'll do it again and keep doing it and live there in a perpetual state of brokenness, a perpetual state of acknowledging that I can't, but you can, and I need you, God. I'm desperate. I'm hungry for you because I can't fix the mess of my life. Well, maybe you don't have habitual sins and patterns, but you are hungry for more of God. Maybe you want to be hungry, but you're not. God, increase the hunger inside of me. See, these are all things that we can't do on our own. We have to do them in cooperation with God. We have to do them through prayer and through fasting and through self-sacrifice, a life of that. Are you hungry for Him today? Let's close in prayer, and then we're going to open these altars. Come as you want, but these altars are open. And God bless you as you go. Those that want to stay and worship, let's worship. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're drawing us and you're beckoning us. You're calling us closer to yourself. God, as we acknowledge and, and are just genuinely transparent and truthful with you, I thank you that you hear our hearts cry. Meet your people, Lord, today in this place. And as we go our separate ways, I pray your blessings. Those that need to respond, Lord, I pray that you'd meet them in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. These altars are open for those that want to pray and seek the Lord worship team is going to worship he's worthy of all of our praise let's keep our fellowship outside the sanctuary and let's keep this a place of worship today